0: So tomorrow's the big day. Several reasons for this post, for this podcast. A few books I read. Removing the vowel I, shifting to vowel consonant we, or once again vowel consonant us. When you're young in your career out of a university institution where you were gifted five academic years of more than 40 professors, maybe 60 professors challenging you, but then determining that you're not quite ready. It builds an insecurity in you where you have to prove yourself. You have something to prove because you have, at the current moment, no value. Not that there's zero value, you have no value, no value that can be determined. So you look at the landscape, you look at where did you graduate from, you look at what are your classmates engaged with, what percent of the class did you graduate in, you look at your business school if you graduated from one, and you try to find the first episode to your story post-graduation. And I'll tell you, for many that are fortunate, for many that have a family that can support them, gift them a business, gift them something financially to give them a cushion, to start a business, to get a loan, to bridge something from nothing, they have an advantageous position. But for many others who have parents who have professional degrees, but they can't do the same thing that their parents can do you have to find your own path. And by some circumstance or some miracle, some challenge in a position of life you don't understand, you meet at this bypass where you are forced to take on certain sacrifices while living a great lifestyle, but forced to take on certain sacrifices in order to learn, in order to be as close as you can to having a professional degree without yielding that knowledge. You learn it manually. You learn it through jobs. You change jobs, not because you're fired, but because you need to learn something different. Medicine is not like anything else that's out there. It is so complex, it's bar none, incompetent to anything that you study. If you go to be a physician assistant and you go to the School of Medicine, you will do one thing for the rest of your career, therefore. After you pass the pants exam, you are on to a singular journey where your options are work for a hospital, work for a private clinic, work for a public practice, go your own direction and have an, a PA uh instituted under a MPI of a physician, meaning you can own your own practice, but you will be doing that regardless of what category of medicine you work in. You will be doing that one thing, guaranteed, until you decide to retire. When you are not a doctor, when you are not in the professional degree landscape, you have to learn everything you can in order to be of value to a physician and groups of physicians. So in my journey, I thought I was going to stay in dental. And this is where we talk about the consonant and vowel shift. You have to learn enough in oncology. So you have to go and you have to go to Duke Fusion Centers. You have to break into places to learn. This isn't something you find in books. This isn't something an institution will allow you to learn without being a part of their class. And this isn't something your modern-day pharmaceutical company is going to teach you. So to become a specialist, you have to do things outside the box, outside the paradigm of even legal sometimes. And I've had to follow those lines. I've had to break into fusion centers to talk to anesthesiologists and find out what's going on. I've had to break into fusion centers to talk to Oncologists, real oncologists, not physicians who specialize in oncology, actual oncologists who build the varied types of medications in pharmaceutical compound for patients on chemo, therefore determining a treatment plan. And as you go through this journey, you start to question yourself of Cancer is a sad landscape. It's a really sad landscape. For a lot of the times, you're testing patients and you're preventing late-stage cancers by diagnosing early-stage cancers. But you're still dealing with fatalities. You're dealing with unknown circumstances. And you're a young 23, 24, 25-year-old. It's a lot. It takes a toll on you. Then you start to become more informed about women's health so you decide to shift away from oncology but the thing is, is as you wor- as you learn women's health you learn cervical cancer, you learn HPV you learn how many women are misdiagnosed with bacterial vaginosis instead of trichinomas you learn that it's the physician's fault for why it's happening but you you can't say anything because you can't prove it and then you learn how to prove it And then no one will listen to you because you're not a doctor. They'll say that that doctor has been in practice for 20 years. So what do you do? You bite the bullet. You let women knowingly get misdiagnosed with trichinomas, therefore burning their relationship because the male counterpart is probably very insensitive, probably immature. She burns her self-confidence because she thinks there's something wrong with her body. When it's just she's on the wrong antibiotic, the wrong medication, her pH balance is off, her flora is off, and you break a woman in half. That's the reality I've had to live with. You can't just post that in a Yahoo article. You can't trace back to what time that happened in 2017 or 2020, 2018, because no one will believe it. And I remember the first taste of getting cheated by a lab and being, before I was a father, I worked an entire 18 months working to diagnose early stage breast cancers. Looking on the holistic wellness panels, trying to find out if an abnormal, if if a CBC with differential reads abnormal, what other options do we have instead of palliative therapy, saying that a patient has no hope, instead of shoving cocktail of medications down their throat, therefore making them suicidal, having severe adverse reaction, what hope do we have? So I turn to holistic wellness. I, I turn to doctors that severely study. Holistic paths from foreign countries that have historical data supporting the rejuvenation of life and health after such a deviation caused by a virus or a bacterium, and it pulls you to it. And the challenging thing about doing this type of podcast, truth, is you have to relive all those horrendous memories. That one lab stole $130,000 from me in commissions. There was no way to sue an $80 million lab. And the professionals at the time that I knew said, you'll make that money back. Don't worry about it. If you fight this, they could ruin your reputation. They could blacklist you. And in many industries, if you open up your mouth, regardless of you being the victim, that's what happens. You get blacklisted. You'll never be able to work again in that vicinity of your sector. You won't have anyone trust you because they think you'll turn on them. And in the meantime, though, what do we do? We, We always see articles in Yahoo News or Finance News that somebody was cheated, they spoke up, And now there's remorse. There's empathy for them. Well, then I become a father. I'm scared out of my mind because now I love something more than anything I've ever had in my life. And nothing can prepare you for that. There's nothing that can prepare you for being a somewhat egotistical person with a very good heart. Who was just born with good genetics and played sports and had a very nice life, great life with women, and then all of a sudden you have a child and the second that child's in your arms, you don't care about anything other than that child. You don't care about yourself. You don't care about your future prospects. You only care about the goodness and wellness of that child. And there's nothing that can prepare you for that. There's no book you can read. There's no video you can watch. There's no family member you can talk to. There's nothing that can prepare you for the moment when you realize you've been gifted a blessing and also a constant worry, 24-7 obligation of being a parent, knowing that something can happen to your child. And when you work in medicine, you see things in pediatrics you wish you didn't see. And you always ask yourself, Why didn't it happen to my child? Why can't it happen to my child? And it causes mental duress. And as you get away from those challenges, as you work through the mental grind of accepting what is in front of you, you then find your way into a Fortune 500 company. You find your way into a company that does $13 billion a year in sales. You just did 8 million a year in sales for them, which in real estate equivalent is like you being a first year broker and you sold 80 to $90 million in homes. That's the equivalent in medicine to real estate. So you're, you're, a, you're a small piece to the billions sold in that company. And then you see, because you have the resources, because you see things world-renowned, you work with the best and brightest that came out of Dartmouth, Yale, Warden. You literally meet the world's best and brightest and then you see corruption. And you can't say anything. You're, you're hired into one of the highest roles they have that's outside of management. You're the youngest hire they have. You're the most inexperienced hire they have. And yet you can hold your own. But you can't say anything. You see things that are given to physicians, gifted, that are hyper-illegal. Illegal under OSHA by 10 levels. Kickback clause, whatever you want to name it. And you can't say anything. So you just work within, once again, the parameters you're given because the ultimate thing here is you're saving lives on a mass scale because now you have access to HIV testing globally. In your entire state of North Carolina, you have access to HIV care. You can make sure that bilingual populations have equitable availability to diagnostic testing. Within diagnostic testing, you can also make sure that instead of using wet mounts, and using physical eyes under the specimen view, physicians are now using our lab in specimen to have a better specificity, higher sensitivity, which is ultimately more accurate. And it's not accurate more by 10%, 5%. It's more accurate from, a wet mount could be up to 56% accurate on a BV read. A wet mount off of a lab specimen could be as accurate as 93 to 97%. So once again, going back to the women that have suffered duress and the emotional torment of being misdiagnosed for a year or longer, losing their relationships or having hardships in their relationships or even as a single woman having to deal with that insecurity, you now have correction. And as I expand on this polar truth I couldn't say anything because of the lawsuits that were shoved down my throat if I say anything I'm going to get sued out of my ass how do you take a company worth $13 billion, strap $3 million to a team of lawyers and expect somebody who was only making maybe $110,000 at the year to, to fight that they call your family they call your relatives they find out any dirt anything that exists and they bury you in it and even if there's no dirt which was my situation they force a fear and the worst part of it is none of these battles can be won in the state that you reside in because in the you know contract that you sign that's 80, 85 pages long, there's some small notation in that 85-page contract that says, any legal issue has to be resolved in the hometown of the company. The origin, baseline, headquarter of the company. And why is that important? Because if you try to sue a Fortune 500 and it's in their hometown, and a majority of the revenues for that area come from that company, you're going to have biased judges. You're going to have resources at their disposal you couldn't dream of. And that's what happened to me. So in order to not go on Yahoo News, which I was going to, in order to not take up Washington Journal reports, which they interviewed me for, I had to shut my mouth. I had to find a way out of a Fortune five hundred to get back to normal. And here's where we are today. I've worked with this surgeon on and off for ten years. He's one of the most humble, articulated, gifted, manual directory, fantastic person all around. He's not just an oral surgeon, he's a leader. He is Somebody who owns seven, eight practices, also ownership of a hospital that my family's also a part of. Because he believes, and you can ask him himself, he believes in the preservation of health. And sometimes that's all you need. You need somebody that you can attach yourself to that has had a hard journey themselves that had to suffer through medical school to then become a maxillofacial surgeon which is an additional two-year study and residency and he comes out this this amazing person and when you're around somebody like that it makes you a miniature version of that it lets you work past the negativity you've experienced to realize God may have placed those obstacles in your path because something this good had to be earned. The technology that we have created, not even talking about the robot, but just itself. It's poetic. It's it's beautiful medicine. For all the times that you hear the patient passed away from anesthesia, the patient on automobile accident site passed away after trying to be resuscitated, there's a lot of variables that happen. The nasal tube we created is easier to use. It's easier in instruction. And under the principle of KISS, keep it simple, stupid. The more complex, the harder you have to train somebody on how to use a technique or a method or a device, the less chance you have of success, the more chance of failure. We have thought of every avenue, every aspect of how this can save a patient's life. And that's what we're focused on. And a great part of this success is the other co-founder, who's a brilliant engineer, whose family also derives from dentistry. So we talk about shifting the I, I went through this, I was a success in this, I had to excel in this to now we, or us, because us means you. The general population is who will benefit. This can one day be in the hands of the military dropping this off in foreign countries who have poor accessibility to such products, to such medical devices at low cost, high quality. We could put this into the pockets of VMTs, making sure that as soon as they get on site of an automobile accident, they can access the patient's airway without having to sit the patient up in prone position through the nasal canal, avoiding the point of paralysis avoiding paralyzing the vocal cords, avoiding malignant hypothermia, the 5% chance of instant death based on insertion. We also have more accessibility to the patient's airway by not utilizing an endotracheal tube because an endotracheal tube covers the entire mouth. It covers the airway. It doesn't glide down, it has to be seated in a I would say compressed position patient has to be sitting up prone position how do you sit a six foot three 220 pound male up and dead weight how do you do that so easily they don't it's not even safe to move a patient in an automobile accident so fatalities happen we can not prevent we can lower the circumstance for negatives In maxillofacial surgery, it's so imperative to have the access you need to do your job. And that is through the mouth. So we shift it through the nose. It's imperative to have a low risk of fatality. Because you're technically an outpatient center. Patients are not going under full anesthesia. It's partial. They're supposed to wake up in 15 minutes. So you have a lot of variables that we've had to look at that we're highly passionate about. And as we continue this podcast, I also want to talk about who I've appointed as COO, who I actually asked to be the CEO of the company. I felt her experience well overlaid mine. And the paradigm here is they've asked me to be the CEO. Even after I've asked the CEO and she herself appointed me CEO. So there's things that taking away I, utilizing us, we, once again, you, the people. We have strong synergy as a team. We communicate effectively. There's no negative space, negative aura about our team. Even when we have come across obstacles in the two years joining this venture, we worked through them in tangible, cooperative efforts not working towards the negatives. And even though having to deviate from the various patents that are out there currently that have been bought, sold, protected against current technology, forming technology from COVID, we found a way. And that's where the investors are going to feel the most seated in their return on investment, is that you're not just looking at one professional, you're looking at Uday, Andrew, myself, and Shirley. Four highly competent, highly technically talented, great people who have an array of skill sets To ensure that this is also not the only technology we create. What I like most about Shirley is I like how many board seats that she's been on. I like how she doesn't utilize any weaknesses that were directed towards her in the market. She is full of strength, she's full of compassion and strength and resilience. It's her strongest asset. And as a patient of oral surgery, she's studied it. She's understood the implications of things going wrong because she was a patient herself. That's something that many of us could identify with. I think the alignment of her abilities to also bring companies to the market and successfully do that where I have never been in that position before gives me comfort as a CEO knowing I have that angel on my shoulder. I think that without a doubt, this is the most confident we've been in our space. And as I end this at 30 minutes with four minutes to go here, I wanna talk about the future technology that will exist, robotics. Robotics isn't the old robotics you know where we're building anatomical robots that will be mobile in a home or shoot a cannon or uh, I don't know, even become a vacuum cleaner. I'm talking about a full system, automotive engineering platform A a robot that can pinpoint the accuracy of a graft or an implant and do it so perfectly in angulation and osteotomy. We talk about angle and depth because while an oral surgeon's hands are so great, if we can make it easier for them to be in precision, that many more procedures can be done, less stress. More confidence in the surgical OR space and ultimately the patient's clinical outcomes. We created a, a mold. A mold that attaches to the robot that answers to the software that we had to dissipate and break apart. We had to look at the algorithm of such a extensively exhausting software. It's like trying to look at a photo that you take on your iPad and break it into pixel and break it into thousands of pixels, millions of pixels and trying to piece it together and find out where does the note come from? Where does the voice of the image come from? And that's what it's like working with robotic software. And we found that position where it correlates. So you have the process that has been patented. And this process could take us 10 years, 15 years forward into varied markets. This process can be utilized in mining in telecommunications. Because when you utilize autonomous robotic systems, they are always going to over-improve on delivery from human engagement. Humans are humans, therefore, ergo, they they make errors. These robotic systems answer to software points, GPS coordinates that are very rarely a miss. And if you take that into higher telecommunication systems, we could have such capabilities in the future. So we have the processes, then we have the mold and the mold is the paradigm where the patient bites down and the bite doesn't shift. We don't have to cancel a surgery because the implant isn't proper. And Probably one of my favorites is in two part, how it connects to the robot device, almost like a magnetic click and the last one is The most important, when you go for an implant or a serious procedure, generally a CT is required. An x-ray exposure to radiation is very low, but a CT is moderate. They always want you to ensure in your lifetime you have less than five to six CTs. That's just a general consensus. Maybe now it's seven because more things happen, but five to six. So if we can alleviate a patient from having to run another CT... It's time insensitive. It is reducing your exposure to radiation, therefore improving your future health, preserving your future health. And that's what gets us excited about where surgical guide systems can go. We may raise it, sell it off to then create future technologies the way Elon Musk and the CEO of Palantir created what is now PayPal, who then afforded the ability to become tesla the future is is in the community's hands because ultimately we need you